All right, let's open up to Luke chapter 12, please. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, and we'll begin by reading just a couple verses, verses 20 and 21. And then we're going to take a look at the entire passage today, starting from verse 13. Luke 20, and, or Luke 12, rather, verse number 20. Luke 12 and verse 20. Now, I'd like to call this sermon Bigger Barns, but there's a lot more that I want to say about the subject than just concentrating on the barns that are in this passage. But you'll see as we go verse by verse through this. In verse number 20... The Bible records Jesus, he's giving a parable and he says, But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Father, please help us, Lord, as we enter into the Scripture We know, we know, God, we know that we are not sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency comes from you. Please, Lord, fill us with your Spirit today. Please speak to us. Please help us, God. Lord, show us everything we need to see in this passage. And God, I believe this, I might have some tough things to say. Please, Lord, might this congregation receive it today into good ground and might it bring forth fruit unto you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. About 1,700 years ago, there was a man named Timothy. He was the deacon of a very small church. This is before Christianity was legalized in the days of Constantine. And Christianity was lived out many times underground. They did the best they could to get the word out to spread the gospel but beings that it was illegal many times in the early days of the church they had to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves this young man Timothy as a deacon one of his jobs was to keep the scriptures at his house he did not have an entire bible as no one did in those days he had only a few pages if memory serves from the book of Ephesians and that was it That church would regularly meet, read from those few pages of Scripture, and then Timothy, that deacon, would meet with some other deacon, and they would trade copies of Scripture so that they could eventually read everything that the apostles had left behind for us. One day, the Roman army shows up at Timothy's house, and they ask him and his newly married bride, they'd only been married a matter of weeks, where is the Scripture's? Now they know, they know what's going to happen. If they give up the scriptures, that is the equivalent of denying Christ. That is the equivalent of saying, my land, my property, my wife, all of this is more important to me than God and his word. It is a very, very big question when they ask, where's the scriptures? When the Roman army knocked at your door and said, are you a Christian? You and I may not be so worried about that question today, but back in that day, that was a big question. Not to be answered lightly. Timothy told that Roman soldier, I have the scripture, but I will never give it up. They proceeded to 
threatened him. They took him, him and his wife into custody. And they said, sir, we're warning you, if you do not tell us where the scriptures are, because, of course, they wanted to burn them. That was the official edict of the Roman government, to burn every page of scripture that existed. They said, if you don't tell us, we will, we will put you to death. Timothy said, I'd rather die. I will not give up the scriptures. My walk with God, my Christian life, more important to me. More important than even staying alive. So they tied him up by his feet and hung him from a tree. As they hung him, they poured honey all over his body and allowed the ants to do their worst. I'm not even giving you all the details because this is a mixed crowd. Timothy began to call out to his wife saying, don't deny Christ. Don't tell them where those scriptures are. Don't you worry about me. And the soldiers, of course, turn their attention to his newly acquired bride and says, if you tell us where the scriptures are, if you deny Christ and give up your walk with God, we will let your husband go. We will let you go. All we want are those few pages of scripture. And that woman said, I would rather die alongside my husband than tell you where those pages are. They tied her up by her feet. They hung her next to her husband. Timothy consistently was encouraging his wife, stay strong, my love. Don't deny Christ. Don't worry about these few hours of pain. The prize of eternity, the prize that we have waiting for us on the other side of, of confessing Christ openly with our mouth and not being ashamed of Him. Oh, the prize is so much worth what we're going through. His encouragement was so great that the soldiers had to gag him so that he couldn't speak anymore. He kept encouraging his wife because she would say to him while hanging upside down next to him, just, why don't we just tell them? We can make this right later. We can apologize to the church later. And he kept encouraging her, no, no. And eventually they gagged him. Eventually they gagged her. And they died a few hours later. I wonder how we would do with today's version of Christianity under those circumstances. I've often thought about that. I'm not saying that I would handle it in an incredibly good manner. What Christ expected of his disciples was such a high level of devotion People had to decide. They, when they got into the Christian life, they had to decide in their heart that Jesus Christ is worth more to me than everything else. And I am willing, at a moment's notice, at a knock at the door, I am ready to give everything up for the one who died for me. Folks, let's thank God that we live in a nation where we have religious freedom. No one ever knocks at my door. No one ever asks me, are you a Christian, with the threat of death connected to that question. As Boltman and I stepped off the plane in India, it started to hit home in a very small way because they told us, 
to be very careful about what you say about Christianity because they are persecuted there. And for the first time in my, in my whole Christian life, it, it sunk in. And I had to really ask myself, if something happens and it gets serious and these Hindu radicals encompass me about and make threats, what am I going to do with my faith? Now, as of the early 300s AD, when Christianity became legalized by Constantine, the threat of death wasn't as, as great. But before that time, for the first, oh, let's say 270 years, that's what disciples were made of, the real stuff. They had to decide in their heart, it's Jesus or, not Jesus and. I'm willing to follow Christ no matter what it costs me. Did you know that our discipleship now, because of the legalization of Christianity, may not cost us the same thing, but Jesus expects the same devotion. The demands of biblical discipleship have never changed. When somebody comes to Christ, and this is the tragedy that we are now dealing with in the body of Christ, people come to Jesus so that He can give them lands, property, finances, a good wife, a good husband. They, they want Jesus and everything else. They, they come to Jesus just so that they can prosper. That is not how Jesus envisioned discipleship. He told, the, he told His followers, sit down and count the cost. If you're going to build a tower, before you build anything, you have to sit down, make a plan, count the cost, and see if you're able to finish this. And I think too many times people rush into Christianity because it sounds good on the surface and hey, I'm going to get everything I want out of this and they rush into Christianity not realizing the proper heart attitude they need to have as they draw nigh to God. I want to ask you today, now this is no way to build a big church by the way. There's, there's no way you can build a big following by telling people if you don't hate your father, mother, brother, sister, lands or houses, you cannot be my disciple. You don't make big churches out of that. But you do make genuine ones. You may not have thousands following. You may just have 12 and one of them may run away with the money bag. <laughs> but at least you'll know the few, the very few that stick around, they must really mean it. They must really mean it. I want a genuine church. I want to be a genuine disciple. And I say that trembling because, boy, I don't, it's not comfortable to think that one day the government might knock on my door and say, hey, give me your land, give me your house. And I have to react to that in a biblical manner. I have to already decide that I need to treat that situation with a biblical attitude. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that the disciples took joyfully the spoiling of their goods. That's a biblical attitude. I'm not saying that I'm going to handle this great if it ever comes to it, but I am, I, I, I am aware of what Christ expects from me. That if my discipleship, if my following of Him costs me everything, He's worth it. He demands it, and He deserves it. Let me show you what, what led up to the statements we read a moment ago. In verse 13, one of the company said unto him, 
So he's got a massive group listening to him preach. One of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he may divide the inheritance with me. Jesus did not come to settle family disputes about who owns what part of the land. But this man says, Master, make sure I get a fair cut in the business deal. Make sure I get what I want. I wonder how many people come to church and read the Bible and pray for that reason. It's not that they want to get closer to God or know Christ better or fall in love with Him. They want God to sort out the injustices that are going on in their life. God, some people are not treating me fair, now you fix it. That's what this man is after. Verse 14, He, Jesus, said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? Sir, you've missed the point. I didn't come to settle these kind of disputes. I've come to declare the Father to you. I've come to reveal God to you so that you can fall in love with Him and worship Him in spirit and in truth. The Father seeks true worshipers. Does this mean that God is not interested in business deals happening fairly? No, no, no. Jesus spoke about working in honest days work and getting paid for that. Jesus talked about financial planning. All of that is legitimate. It's not that this man has a bad question. Are you hearing me? It's not a bad question. The problem is, in this man's heart, the most important thing to him is his property. That's the problem. It's not wrong to protect your land, your property, to protect your family. Not wrong to have relationships with your brothers and sisters and friends. Nothing wrong with that until they take the place of God in your life. Until those things or even those people become more important to you than the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus says, man, I don't, I don't think you understand the purpose for me coming. I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. I've come to call sinners to repentance. I didn't come to settle land disputes. I wonder, I wonder how many people in South Africa right now are praying more than they ever have because their land is threatened. And God hasn't heard a word from them before and as soon as this situation is settled, they won't hear, they won't speak to Him again. Let me tell you right now, we must settle in our hearts regardless of what happens with property, regardless of how many friends we are able to retain, regardless of what position in society we can achieve. If you are to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, count the cost I'm willing to follow no matter what it costs me I might have to shut down my business but I will because I want to be a disciple of Christ I might have to say goodbye to some friends that I've known for years but I will because I want to please the Lord I was dead he died for me now I'm alive I owe him my life Sunday school right we learned that Sunday school right we learn the logic of that. That's the only reasonable outcome. If one died, then all were dead. And now that we're alive, we owe him this life. He gave it to us. Just makes sense. Just makes sense. Verse 15, he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness. If you are that man that asked that question, 
you are feeling very awkward right about now. Because there's a company of people there, right? Verse 13, there's a large group. One man speaks up and says, hey, Jesus, my, my brother, you know, dad died recently and left us some land and we're trying to settle this. Can you please sort this out? Because I think he's cheating me. And Jesus, in front of the whole crowd, looks at him and says, hey, man, who made me a judge or divider? I, I didn't come to fix this stuff. And then it says in verse 15, he said unto them, to the whole crowd, take heed and beware of covetousness. Ooh, he just called that a covetous. He just said, you're a covetous man. <laughs> Don't you know that guy right now is looking for the exit? All of a sudden, he had to go to the bathroom really bad. <laughs> he, he's sneaking off. He's like, oh, no, he's preaching about me right in front of everybody. Well, hey, man, you, you brought it up. <laughs> you brought it up. He said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Friend, is that true of you? Is that true of you? What does your life consist of? What makes you you? What determines the way you act and when you get up and when you go to sleep and what you eat and how you treat your kids and your family and your wife and your husband and what kind of business you do and career you have? and What, what does your life consist of? Jesus said, it's not about what you've purchased. It's about the one who's purchased you. He's purchased us with his blood. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It's not about what you purchase. It's about what he purchased. And he's, Jesus says, be careful, guys, because I can see in this man and all of you are in danger. Be careful. Jesus said to that crowd, be careful that the things don't become more important to you than than God. In another place, Jesus said it like this in Matthew 6, you cannot serve two masters. You'll love the one, hate the other. You'll hold to the one, you'll despise the other. No man can serve God in money. Can't do it. You know, you know how he ended up that sermon? He said, your father knows that you need to eat something. He knows you need to drink something. He knows you need to have clothes you need clothes to put on. God's aware of those things and he's not against you working a job and getting those things. That's all fine, but Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Where's the attitude? He's saying, put the emphasis on God. Nothing wrong with possessing something. As long as that is not what your life consists of. That's all there is to you. Old saying is, whoever dies with the most toys wins. <laughs> that's how a lot of men live their lives. Let me just get as much stuff as I can. Man, there, if that's all there is to life, what an empty life. Jesus said this. Now, you South Africans may not believe this, but this is true. He said, life is more than meat. <laughs> you need to think about that. There's more to life than Breiflaswet. I know, I know, you're doubting that. You might think that's a mistake in the Bible, but that's true. There's more to life than just meat. There's more to life than what you put on. As we continue on in verse 16, he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. Well, praise God for that. There's nothing wrong with that. Verse 17, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do because I have no room 
where to bestow my fruits. We would say to stow them away, to store it up. So he says, I, I don't have anywhere to put all this surplus. Has, has he done anything wrong? No, not really. I mean, he had, a, he had a good year in the field. And he had so much come in in this one year, which tells me this man had to have owned many farms, not one, but many, because he had so much that he could lay it up and live off of it for many years. Wow, that's a lot of stuff. He had a great year. Nothing wrong with that. Let, let me show you just one little indication of a problem starting in verse 17. He fought within himself. Now, now I'm not against the idea of you coming up with a plan, but, but where do we read in the parable where this guy prayed about it? Where do you read in the parable where he took time to give the first fruits unto the Lord and say, God, thank you, I know that you provided this. All he could think about after getting this wonderful return on his investment is, ooh, goody. Now what can I do with it? How is this going to help me? I don't read anything about God there. It says in verse number 18, And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, bigger barns. Bigger barns. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. Now, is there anything wrong with the savings plan? No, not at all. I, I can show you verses where Jesus recommends it. I can show you many verses in the book of Proverbs about having a savings account. That is a biblical principle, and I think you should do it. As long Here's the, the caution, though, I give you with that. Your life is not supposed to consist in your savings account. That shouldn't define you. There's more to life than that. So as long as you remember that, then it's fine, lay it up. Be smart about how you manage your money. That's a good thing to do. But in verse number 19, oh boy, he goes way too far here. And I will say to my soul, soul, not, whenever I have a conversation with myself, I don't address my soul in that way. <laughs> hello, soul, hello, hello. <laughs> I will say to my soul, soul, Thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Wow. Take thine ease. Eat. Drink. And be merry. He took these fruits, these goods, and said, Okay, I have accomplished everything that life offers me to accomplish. I've reached the pinnacle of life. I can live easy now. I can retire early. And just kick back and enjoy life because for most people that's what life consists of the very greatest thing you can achieve is an easy life where you can just be merry every day you can just bounce around life enjoying traveling happy here and there and doing whatever you want this man had it all that was the end goal had nothing to do with drawing nigh to God had nothing to do with fulfilling his created purpose. He was happy. And as long as he was happy, that's all that mattered. It's all that mattered to him. Friend, there's so much more to life than just eat, drink, and be merry. I've known too many rich people that have testified that after they've had that life for a few years, they get very sick of it. They find it very unfulfilling. I remember from living in Malawi 
I, they taught me, the Malawian people, especially some of the men that became our pastors there, they taught me some of the greatest lessons about the Christian life without ever saying a word. And they continue to teach me about these things to this day. We, you've heard me say this before, those of you that have been with us for a while. We, one of our pastors there is named Elimon Zekedzeke. And Zekedzeke Aja, who that one. And Cheche would say, Niwamkulu. He's a big man. He's a big man spiritually. Little man in stature. His face is all scarred up from a motorcycle accident he had years earlier. And his, one of his children was born missing part of its brain. And the mother had to carry this child everywhere. And that child never stopped crying for 10 years straight. Elimon, after we discipled him in the capital city, he moved back to his village. He began winning souls. He began discipling his converts. And from that, the converts started coming and saying, we don't want to go back to our other churches because they're not telling us biblical truth. You have to be our pastor. He wasn't even ready for that. But they kept showing up at his house every Sunday, so he ended up their pastor. His mother and his brothers hired along with seven other pastors in, in that village, they hired thugs to kill Elimon because those other churches were losing their members and his family was embarrassed because he had broken away from their church. We pulled Elimon out of the village for a few months and then after a while he came to me and he said, Pastor, I must go back. I said, but Elimon, I don't know if it's safe. He said, my, my sheep need a shepherd. I believe God wants me to go back and I'm willing. If it costs me everything, I'm willing. At that moment, Elimon became my hero. To this day, he remains so. He went back to that village and he started winning more people to Christ. And one day his brother said, Elimon, please come get in the car. Our mother needs us to pick up some katundu, some, some hooters down from a, a different city. So he gets in the car and he goes with his brother. His brother says, uh, yeah, let me, let me see your passport real quick. Takes his passport, stows it away, drives him down to the Mozambican border and takes him across the border and gives him no choice. He won't give him his passport back. Elimon said, okay, now where are we going? He thought the, the Katundu was on the other side of the border and, and his brother said, no, no. From here, we're going to South Africa. Elimon said, whoa, wait a minute. You said we were going home. He said, no, no, no. I'm taking you to South Africa whether you like it or not. He drove him all the way down to South Africa to Mayerton and dropped him off. He said, bye-bye and drove away. And he said, now, here in South Africa, you will find an opportunity to get educated because they had family down here that was supposed to come get him. We'll, we'll educate you. We'll get you a good job. You don't have to live in... Uh, uh, Malawi is the poorest country in the world. And out in the village, it gets even worse. They say, we don't want you to live there anymore. Go down to South Africa. They call this the promised land, by the way. In Malawi, this is the promised land. So well done, you guys have made it. <laughs> Elimon, he, he, he had nothing. His brother gave him no money, nothing. So he went from place to place. He found little odd jobs to do because he's not a lazy man. He worked, he got some money, and he kept on Sundays because you've got to go to church on Sundays. Nothing's going to stop him from doing that because he had to hear the Word of God. That's just too important. I mean, 
Who, who would ever think of replacing spending time with God in the house of God, around the Word of God, with the people of God? Who would ever replace that with something so trivial as, as, as a worldly pleasure? I mean, who would do that? So, Elimon starts walking around looking for a church, and he can only walk. So he walks and he walks. Now, those of you that have ever seen Brother Sykes Church in Mayerton, it is in the worst location of any church ever. It is in the middle of the woods, <laughs> It, it's hard to get there, isn't it? Brother Sykes, when he was alive, he drew me directions and I still couldn't get there. It was bad. Elimon is walking down these roads just looking for a place to go to church. He has no clue where he's at and he walks up and there's the sign, Bible Baptist Church. Oh, that's the name of our church in Malawi. And Elimon thought, well, isn't that strange? This is exactly the church where I pastor. And he goes into the church, he meets Brother Sykes, and he says, yeah, my brother kidnapped me, dropped me off, and I'm trying to get back to Malawi. He says, my pastor in Malawi is Mike Flick. And Brother Sykes says, I know him, he's been here. We, yeah, we'll get you back. Shipped him back to Malawi on a bus. <laughs> Elimon got back into that little church. And instead of calling me up saying, hey, I'm a pastor now. You have to pay my salary. You have to give me this, give me that. You know what he did? He went around to his members and said, let's plant some seeds. Let's grow a, little, uh, a few vegetables. Let's raise some chickens. We'll take the money that we get from the eggs and the vegetables and we'll support orphans with it. He has no income. He lives off of what the ground provides and what the church can barely support him with. And all he can think about is helping the other people that are less fortunate. Oh, the story continues. And man, what I, this man ends up, he's, he's now pastoring three churches. He drives all over the place. And when I ask him, Elimon, is there anything you need? He says, I have Jesus. I'm perfectly happy. That's a life worth living. Many of you remember Brother Ashbad came and preached for us during the missions conference. When I left Malawi to come here, Ashbad also left Malawi and came here. I don't know if you know that. We sent him to electrician school in Malawi so that he could work a job and be a pastor because not enough money from the church members to support him. So Ashbad found work in South Africa. He thought he'd come down, make enough money to get some capital, go back and start his own business. He came down, he got a good job in Cape Town. A job in Cape Town. It's like the heavens opened up. <laughs> then they sent him to Joburg and he had another good job there. He was making good money for over a year. You know what he did? He went back to Malawi to make sure the church was doing well. When he got back, he found that a couple things weren't in order. So he said, I'm going to stop working in South Africa. I'll be the pastor here full time. I walked into his office one day in Malawi and he pulled out 4,000 kwachas. Guys, 4,000 kwachas is 75 rand. And he said, he said, Pastor Mike, this is what my church gives me for one month. That's all that he could, that's all the support he has. 75 rand for the whole month. He's got two kids. He's got a wife. 4,000 kwachas, that's it. And, and I was nervous. I didn't know what he was going to say next because if that's me, I probably would have said, I quit, I'm going back to Cape Town. 
Eh? I like the beach. <laughs> that's, that, that's me, but not him. Ashbed said, I'd rather be in the will of God with 4,000 quachas than to be in South Africa and have everything that my flesh wants. I have seen the living fulfillment in these men of Paul's words, for to me to live is Christ. That's where life consists. Not in what you've purchased, but in who has purchased you. In, in chapter 12, in verse number 20, But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? Can I point out the difference between the two statements here? You have the rich man. Look at where his mind goes. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Soul, you have everything you need. Man, you got it made. You're living the high life. Well done, you. Pat your back. That's what he's thinking in his mind. And God says, you fool. You've completely missed it. You're so far off the mark. You, You have no idea how far away from the truth you are. Can I give you a cross-reference to this? Many of you know the passage. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. You know where I'm quoting? Revelation 3, church of the Laodiceans. I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Jesus said, but thou knowest not that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. He says, you don't see what's really going on. You don't see the big picture. Guys, do you see how differently man looks at this and says, I got it made because I have stuff. God looks at it and says, you're about to lose your own soul. Forget the stuff. I mean, the house, the land that you're so connected to now, two seconds after you die, I promise you're not going to be worried about that. Does that mean we ignore it? No, no, no you can give it its due attention. Are we properly balanced in how much we care about our land and property compared to how much we care about walking with God? If we strip you down and take all the stuff away, can you make it? I'm not saying it'd be easy. But I wonder how many people still go on and say, you know what, they can take all the stuff, but that's not where I got my joy from anyway. The stuff was great while it was there. And if you have stuff, you're allowed to enjoy it. You should feel no conviction about having stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. But if we take it away, and all of a sudden the joy is gone, something's wrong with your discipleship. Life is more than that. And if you really want to feel and understand the life of God. And that, and that's, I'm using that phrase from the Apostle Paul. The life of God. You get in touch with that and I promise you, you set your affections on things above. The things of earth grow strangely dim. Isn't that what we sing? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of His glory and grace. We're so focused on what's going on down here. Building bigger barns. 
For who? You're not going to keep them. You know, the barns, they're meant to put your fruit in them. Right? I wonder if we check heaven. I wonder if the angels have built any bigger barns for your heavenly fruit. Paul said in Philippians 4, I desire that fruit would abound to your account. You do have heavenly fruit. I wonder if, they've, if the angels in heaven have ever said, oh dear, we've got to have a building project for Brother Dane here because man, he's done put more fruit up in heaven and the barns aren't big enough. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? Jesus, in his other parables, he talks about the birds of the air. Do you guys remember that? He talks about the seed as the word of God. Remember that? He talks about the thorns choking the word. Remember that? What is the ground in those parables? What does the ground represent? The ground represents your heart. The ground represents your heart. Because the seed falls on what? Good ground, stony ground. The ground is your heart. Jeremiah said, break up your fallow ground. Get a broken heart. And here we've set our affections on the land, on the ground. I own this ground. Who owns your heart? Who owns your heart? Jesus said in verse 21, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Folks, I want to encourage you today to just check your heart. Maybe sit down as a disciple. Count the cost. What do you need to change? What do you need to give up so that you can be rich toward God? It may not be a comfortable life you come out with, physically speaking, but I promise it'll be worth it in the end. That's what Jesus demands of his disciples. That sort of commitment rich toward God. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed for a few moments. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Boatman, if you don't mind turning something on just quietly, something for the invitation. This is not a plea. Do you understand this? This is not a plea for you to give up all of your goods and give it to the church. I, I, that's not it at all. My concern, my concern is that the things of this earth are distracting you from what Jesus came to do. Brother, turn that down just a little bit. I want you to hear this next part. You, you keep your eyes closed, your heads bowed. Listen to this next part. There are some of you that know If you would make that massive difference in your life, it cost you a lot of money. Your friends wouldn't understand it. Your standing in society would change. But you know that's what God wants. No soldiers are going to knock on your door and force you into that awful position. But I believe the Holy Spirit is knocking on your heart right now. And if you'd like to have that richness with God. Make the decision in your heart right now. Nothing between my soul and the Savior.
God, please have mercy on us. Lord, we're weak. Let me, let me say I'm weak. Lord, I think about all the things, all the blessings. You, we sang it today, God. Count your blessings. Lord, I appreciate all those things. God, please don't let those things distract me from what, from what you came to do, Lord, and that is to draw me nigh to God. Please help us as a church. God, please help us. No matter what comes, Lord, no matter what happens in this country, no matter what happens in our individual lives, help us, Lord, to stay deeply in love with you. Lord, if someone's here today and not saved, would you please speak to their heart? I've not made it easy today, Lord. If somebody decides today to be a disciple, Lord, that's a, that's a big commitment. Lord, thank you. Thank you for coming into my life and showing me what life is all about. It doesn't consist in the things, Lord. I have found my life in you and I appreciate it. You've made all the difference. Please show that to someone else today. Father, thank you for speaking to our hearts this morning. Would you please see us home safely and bring us back tonight, Father? We'd like to hear more from you. Please, God, continue to work in our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.